This is the Dose of Support podcast. Here, the interdisciplinary team in healthcare matters, and we share stories and self-care every Wednesday. Let's break down barriers between professions. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm your host. Are you ready for a dose of support? Dose of support, the host and guests are not affiliated or representing an employer or organization. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests are not here to provide healthcare advice either, but do seek out care from your own healthcare professional, and remember to protect privacy and follow HIPAA. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. It's time to huddle up again, self-care squad. I wanted to check in this week and tell you guys that I'm kind of excited because a lot of you know that back in July, we sold our home and we've been living with family and just kind of waiting for the right thing to come along. And it's really risky to make any big financial decisions in a pandemic, right? Like it's just, it's crazy out there. And so we've been huddled up with family for a couple of months and just waiting for the right thing. And so in the last week, we did start seeing a couple houses and it just kind of gets me excited that, you know, we are going to get out of this on the other end. (laughs) And by this, I mean the pandemic on the other end and it is going to be okay. Um, And it's just exciting to kind of tour these houses and have some fun. And a lot of you know that last week was also my birthday and I did actually go out and get some birthday Botox and it went really well. And so if you're on the fence, go ahead and send me a message because I will talk all about it. I had a great experience. And so those are the highlights from my from my last week. And uh, we're moving forward this week with Double Trouble. And Amy is just a treat. She is a hard worker. She works two jobs as a physical therapist. And I can like hardly make my one job work some days. So I think that her energy and her commitment to the profession is fabulous. So stay tuned for physical therapy insights from Amy Kusterman. Thanks, guys. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Dose of Support. Today, we have Dr. Amy Kusterman as our guest. She is a physical therapist with expertise in pain management and intensive care. She'll share a story about compassion and how she gets the best out of working two different jobs, even during the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Amy. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Well, thanks for being here. And like, you must be a busy person because two jobs in a pandemic, you know, and very fortunate to be working in healthcare and still having, still having jobs. So um, we have had a physical therapist on the show before, but she was very non-traditional. And so I, what I gather from your work is that you do some inpatient work and some outpatient work. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So during the week, I'm in a chronic pain clinic and then I just pick up at a hospital on the weekends. Because like you, like for funsies, like you don't want to sleep in or? Well, you know, student loans, number one. Um, And (laughs) number two, so I had originally gotten the job at the hospital thinking like, 
because there were no outpatient or there were no inpatient jobs when I graduated from PT school, but I found this like per diem job that a friend of a friend was able to get me. And so I thought, well, I'll just take this job, work the weekends until um, they have a full-time position, and then I'll be able to take that. How is the market for physical therapists? We are in the Midwest. Um, and so can you speak to that at all? For me, I, I had a ton of options, just nothing in the hospitals. Um, gotcha. So I think I was, I'm trying to remember back because I'm only two years out of school. So, okay. um, so I had, I had options in ho- a small town hospital. So I was going to have to leave the like downtown area that I'm in. Otherwise, um, there were plenty of like outpatient or nursing home options. So that was fine. Um, And I'd heard really good things about the company that I'm now working at full time. And I just like, I love my full time job that I don't want to leave that one either. But like, I like my weekend job and I don't want to leave that one. So I'm like, well, I guess we just do both (laughs) for now. And it's so interesting because a lot of people don't like to work with the pain management population. And so it's awesome that you have found your niche there. Um, And so let's go back to training for a second because maybe people haven't listened to episode six with our physical therapist, Dr. Danielle. Um, So let's talk about your training to become a physical therapist. Did you have an undergraduate degree in something? And um, what, what was the the thing that made you think, oh, I'm going to be a PT. Most PTs um, are like, I had a good PT. And so that's why I want to be one. And so I'm no different. I was a high school dancer. Really? And I was also a high school dancer. Like it's fellow dancer. So you were inspired by a PT that took care of you when, so did you have an injury as a dancer? Yep. During, um, dance team I will forever say that high kick is the worst thing to ever happen to dance team oh, no. um, because I just had a set of shin splints that I never really dealt with and high kick makes it worse and worse and worse and so I had the best PT after that because I had um they assumed uh, you're assumed to have stress fractures in your shins after you have shin splints for x number of months And this is as a high school student, right? So you were a young person having this injury and needing to go to a physical therapist. And tell me about that. Did you, did you know what physical therapy was about before walking in and going through that? No. And I, at the time I was like, kind of trying to figure, you know, you're at that like 17 years old where you're like, oh, I got to figure something out, you know? And I was yeah. just assuming I would go to med school at that point. was like, oh, I guess this is probably what I'll end up doing. I like science and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then this PT that I had w- worked with, Ballet Minnesota. Okay. And so, um, so she um, was just able to continue doing dance stuff, even though she wasn't a professional dancer. She wasn't a dance teacher all that, but was still able to kind of stay with the sport. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And so that was what drove me in. Yeah. And I, as a, as a high school dancer myself, I, it's so, it's such a passion driven thing to express yourself with your body and movement. And, um, it's, I was so passionate about it too. And I, I always wanted it in my life. And it sounds like you had something similar and you saw like, Oh, I could do this because I see her doing this. And so when you went to college, what did you get an undergraduate degree in? Um, Biology and chemistry. 
And were you still thinking like, oh, I'm on that pre-med track? At that point, I kind of stayed, I tried to stay like general pre-medical anything, still Uh assuming I would do PT. But but then that way it left the door open, as well as like, if I didn't get into PT school, I wanted to be able to get like a some kind of job. Yeah, for sure. that, That left open like work in a lab or something like that. Yeah. So biology and chemistry, like, um, I love those subjects, but I know a lot of people, um, are a little nervous about the sciences. And so how did you, because you had an interest, did you find those easy for you or were they still really challenging? I still thought they were kind of challenging. So I'd started off actually as like an exercise science major, which is what like most PTs will do. Okay. And I kind of like got myself into this biology and chemistry corner like slowly. So at first I was like, okay, I'll switch over to bio. And then it was like, so you had to add a couple more of the like biochemistry, organic chemistry, a couple like calculus, a couple more of those like harder subjects. And then it was like, okay, I'll minor in chemistry. So then you got to add in like <laughs> analytical chemistry and biochemistry too. And so then it was like kind of just a um, slow acclimation. You you sound a little overachiever to me. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe I'll just do some classes and like it's no big deal. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought that those classes were fun. They were so hard, but they were fun. And so I want to encourage students out there to, to not worry about it. Go for it. Just go mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Um, and so after you get a bachelor's degree, um, did you take like a gap year to apply to PT schools or did you get into a program right away? How did that work? I actually chose my undergrad institution because they take like the first third of their class is admits from their undergrad program. So I was lucky enough to not take a gap year and to just be able to keep on going. Go right into it. Beautiful. How long was that part of the program then? So seven years total. So three years of grad school, four years of undergrad. Cool. And so in your program at your school, did it have the mix of didactic and clinical? Talk a little bit about that. So we did a full year of just didactic coursework. And then we got an eight-week clinical kind of plunked in the middle of first and second year and then had another. So then second year is all in the clinic, but then you get to work in our school's free clinic, which is kind of nice. Oh, interesting. So that's like on-the-job training, except for you're not being paid. Right. (laughs) Because it's, it's, you know, like I guess it's like an internship, sort of, an unpaid internship. Right. But it's experience. Exactly. And it's like, it was, I think, three hours a week, so you treated three patients per week or something like that. It was mm-hmm. pretty, um, it wasn't cra- It wasn't a crazy time commitment, but like it was good, super good experience. And then third year is all clinicals and they can send you wherever in the country they want you. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is every PT school like that? Um, every PT school will say in like the fine print on their website, like for your clinicals, we can't, um, guarantee that you'll be in like such and such metro area or whatever. Um, and our school happened to have like contracts all over and you get some choice, but like you also have a whole bunch of requirements that you have to fulfill. And at, a, at the end of the day, you just got to do what you got to do to get all your stuff done. So did you get sent to Timbuktu? Yep. It was called Homosassa, Florida. Oh and my it was gosh. a beautiful place, but it was in the middle of nowhere. Wow. 
And so you just had to like pick up from wherever you were and move across the country Mm -hmm. and be in Florida for a year. Sounds awful, sort of. It was three months in Florida and then three months in Salt Lake was the other place I got sent. Oh, okay. So some variety. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. And then, so what I, what I know so far about physical therapy is you finish your schooling and then you study for boards and boards are like a few times a year. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently PTs are dirty cheaters. Boards. What do you mean dirty cheaters? Tell me more. Oh, that's why the boards are only uh, four times a year because apparently PTs were like cheating and giving the answers to the board exam to each other. (gasps) And so, yeah, so now it's only once, uh, like every fiscal quarter, there's a a board exam. I think it was different this year because of COVID, but most years it's once every fiscal quarter, there's a board exam. That's so funny because those PTs are cheaters. Apparently. I love how you just like threw your profession under (laughs) the bus for a minute Uh, when it comes to taking like stupid standardized tests. I mean, I I know that they have their place. I get it, but mine were hard. And so how did it go for you? You know, I was so happy to be done. (laughs) (laughs) And PT, we don't have to like re-up every 10 years. I don't know if you guys, you don't have to, do you? I have to meet education requirements and um, I have to submit that to my governing body. And if I okay. don't do that, you know, uh, hell ensues and whatever. Right. Um, and I forget, is there a PT residency? Is that optional? Tell me about that. Yeah, residency is optional. So okay. I didn't really look at doing, I think I looked at one or two. Minnesota has a couple. Um, okay. But I'd wanted a cardiac one and they that would have led me to ICU work, but um, I think there's like one spot in the state for that. So <laughs> then I was like, and you well, wanted just- to be close to home. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, all right. So you graduate, you pass your boards. You're, you're like, I'm not going to do a residency. I'm going to be this badass PT in the ICU. And then bleh, no. Like, and then like the jobs just weren't there, the ones that you wanted. Mm-hmm. I think I'd interviewed for one, maybe two in the Twin Cities that were actual ICU, like in the hospital ICU type jobs. Yeah. And, and what, what drove you to like that as your specialty? Cause it's, it was my specialty for a long time as well. So I'm curious. I got super, super lucky on my clinical. So despite the fact that they sent, like I went out to Salt Lake City and it was far away. Um, I was in their cancer hospital at the University of Utah, and their ICU there was, like, almost all post-surgical patients. Okay. Um, And so you got to take these patients who were post-surgical and super complicated, and we were almost always able to get them walking. Wow. That was super cool, like, because even the, like, trached invented patients – who, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like they would come out of surgery, but most of them were just post-surgical after like, um, like a throat and mouth cancer kind of situation. Uh, we're still medically stable enough to walk. So to bounce off of that, it sounds like you were, I just want to, for the listeners, for anyone that's like, what is a trach? What is a vent? And if, you know, I just want to make sure we have some non-healthcare people that listen. And that's awesome. I think that people are learning a lot. And so a trach or a tracheostomy is an artificial airway that is 
you've probably seen pictures or, or met people that have a trach that's in their neck and the trach saying trach is the abbreviation for that. And then on a ventilator, we've heard a lot about ventilators in the news during COVID. Well, when someone is on a ventilator, oftentimes they're sedated to keep them comfortable because it's uncomfortable for a machine to be pushing air into your lungs and um, for you to have tubes everywhere. And so usually people are sedated. And so what Dr. Amy's talking about is taking a patient like that and getting them out of bed and having them walk and getting them moving so that their muscles don't become atrophied or, you know, wasting away that type of thing. So I think it's important to just clarify that. And it sounds like you were in uh, like a surgical ICU or a SICU. Some people might call it a SICU if you've ever heard that term too. So um, so you were inspired when you're at this place, huh? Mm-hmm. And it was super cool because it was such a team effort at that point. You know, half the time it was like a co-treat with the occupational therapist and then the respiratory therapist would be there to help with all the settings on the ventilator. And then one or two nurses help us out with like lines, tubes, transfers, you know, and so all the IVs, got, yep. Yeah, the whole team there. And then you'd get this patient up and walking. It was like a team victory. And you yeah, got to lead the yeah. team victory. And so that was really fun. And so you've you felt that in your clinicals and you were like, I want that all the time. Yeah. Um awesome. So that sparked your interest. Um that's it's really important work. And I think PTs are, are driving a lot of that early intensive care mobility work. I think that there's huge initiatives brought up by PTs and respiratory therapists, and and there's a lot of good outcomes associated with moving those patients earlier. So I think that that's awesome work that's still emerging. There's a lot lot of research emerging on that. So, um, okay. So take me back to what a day in the life is like. You are, you are working in an ICU during the weekend and in a chronic pain clinic during the week. So maybe tell me what your your Monday through Friday gig is like. I love my Monday through Friday gig so much. I know we haven't talked about it a ton, but like the um so we work we get an hour with our patients, which is like the coolest thing about my Oh my job. gosh. That's um, that's amazing. I know. It's like unheard of. We always talk about how it's like the coolest thing about our jobs is that we get an hour at a time with a patient. Um, And so our clinic is, we call it a MedEx clinic, and that's the type of equipment that we use with our patients. Hmm. Um, And so essentially, like if you think of the biggest, most intimidating looking weight machines, like exercise equipment. (laughs) Okay. Think of in a gym. Um, Okay. And we take these patients who have been in pain for a really long time. And we get them moving and we get them moving some weight and we get them exercising, we get them fit and it's super fun because they get better. Okay. And it sounds like, like you're at a CrossFit (laughs) or, you know, it's, it sounds like a little intimidating looking. It totally is. And like, I half the time, like the first day I just take patients like by them first and I'm like, we'll get there. But like... (laughs) Don't worry about that right now. Yeah. Or I once had a patient who just like coming to the clinic with like her weird quota for the day. So I was like, we won't even jump into these. We won't even talk about them. We'll deal with them next week. Like, So this might be 
a stereotypical thing for me to say, but I'm just guessing that you see a lot of neck and back pain at the chronic pain clinic. 100%. Or, oh, okay. So that's that's your average type of patient. Do you see the full age range? Do you have little kiddos that come into the clinic or is it mostly adult care? The youngest person I've ever treated was eight. I'm trying to think of the oldest person I've ever treated, but it's um, really interesting. The eight-year-old was actually, we were treating her mom at the same time. Interesting. the mom had said like after, because a whole lot about persistent pain that's going on right now is like teaching people how pain works Mm -hmm. um, because so much of it can be attributed to overall lifestyle and the fact that when we're in pain, a lot of times we're really freaked out by our pain and that amps up our nervous system and makes mm-hmm. it so much easier for our body to fire off pain signals. And yeah, so it's cyclical. So like the anxiety goes up, then the pain goes up, then the anxiety goes up, then the pain goes up. And people right. think you can take a pill and really you're just like snuffing all those feelings. You're not getting at the root of the problem. Exactly. Um, okay. So it sounds like you're treating kind of a wide range of people. Um mm-hmm. Do a lot of your folks have comorbidities as well? So concomitant conditions that you're working at, or or do you focus on just like the most painful area to do your work as a PT? It's really interesting. Our rehab director always says like, when they have pain everywhere, we know that it's not like probably not an orthopedic problem at each joint, that it's really truly a pain problem. And so- The first day I always treat it, you know, I want that patient to know that I take their pain at every joint seriously. And so I think it starts out looking a lot like we're doing kind of disjointed things at different joints of like, here, I'll give you two exercises for your shoulder and two for your ankle and one for your back. But as that patient starts to feel better, then we're able to move into more of those like compound movements that are really just going to work everything. And if we get every joint moving And if we're doing a squat where you're moving at your hips and your knees and your ankles and holding a weight in your arms, right, then you're getting everything moving and you're strengthening everything. Oh, I just need to say it's crazy to take these patients who come in like on a walker day one because they're just not feeling great and have them lifting bit like big heavy weights, 20, I mean, it's a 12 week program. So it takes a long time to get from point A to point B. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So you you get to see a lot of like happy outcomes, it sounds like. Not always, but yeah. for the most part, it's it's really good. And I think there's a lot of um the the whole the whole pain population. Uh, I think a lot of people don't treat pain seriously, but pain comes from I mean, some people are in car accidents and have pain because they were in this terrible car accident or, um, you know, whatever, whatever caused the pain in the first place, whether it be traumatic or pathologic, I mean, it, it comes from all these different places and it takes, it takes management ongoing, mm-hmm. not necessarily a pill, but what, what do you find when someone doesn't want to do physical therapy and you know that it works how do you handle that it's so hard and like I was in a meeting yesterday where we were talking about like patient buy-in and things like that and like 
one of the therapists who helped to train me and when I was a new therapist always said, you can't want it more than the patient. Interesting. There are times where that's just how it is and that we want it more than the patient and things just don't work out. But a lot of times, if we can get your pain to feel a little bit better within session, they start to kind of grab onto those little things of like, oh, they can do something to help me. Oh, I do feel better when I'm moving. Like one of the first things I usually get people doing on day one, I meet you, I shake your hand, or I guess right now I'm tapping elbows and bring you back, (laughs) bring people back to the stationary bike or like one of those new steps. If you've ever seen those where people just like kind of sit and step their feet back and forth Uh Um, because it's super gentle, but usually just like getting the blood flow going and doing something gentle that they know is safe. It does and you're building a relationship with them at the same time so that you right. can, so that you can, they can build some trust in you mm-hmm. and then they, they believe what you're telling them exactly. when you say this will help, you know, let's try this. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always found that patient buy-in is really tough because especially I would think in a pain environment, people that are in pain become so defeated. They are fatigued they're just so I mean if anyone out there is listening that has been in labor or in pain for x amount of time you know that it just wears you down and so Mm -hmm. these chronic pain folks are probably feeling quite defeated when they come to you is that right yes and I think they're sick of the healthcare system and a lot of times they're tired of not feeling believed yeah um Like I once heard a patient talk about like sitting in the parking lot and trying to decide like when they would go into a medical appointment, like, well, what number should I give when they ask for my pain today? You know, what number is going to be enough that they take me seriously, but not so much that they think I'm making it up, you know, where, and I just feel so bad for these patients. I'm like, I believe you. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. What is the best part of your job? I mean, seeing people get better. <laughs> like That's a big one. And cool people. are. P- I work in a clinic with PTs and OTs, occupational therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cool people just are PTs and OTs. So that's really fun. Cool. Um, and we work with a lot of work comp patients. So it's fun to get patients back to work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pe- and people want to work. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's a big one too. What's the hardest part of the job? You know, there are just patients who have been dealing with this for a long time. And sometimes you are just their punching bag and, or not necessarily their punching bag. Not physically, I hope. No, just like the one who, who gets unloaded on. Yeah. And so, um, so that can be like emotionally draining. We were talking in the office this morning about like how it always stinks when you have one of those like energy sucks as your first patient because then yes. you're like, oh, I got to muster up the same level of patience for the next eight. And really you know? like I – so in, in my mind, the perfect healthcare environment would be you see, you know, whatever provider and then you move on and you see – the dietitian, and then you move on and you see the PT for an hour or whatever. And then you go see the therapist because the, the coping mechanisms, it sounds like they don't have the coping 
mechanisms when they're frustrated and you are their sounding board that they're venting to. And I've been there. I just want to say I've been assaulted by a patient. Um, and and it's it's not about you. We all know it's not about us, but we're still bearing the brunt of someone else's inability to cope and Mm -hmm. deal with their own issues and so in in my ideal world like all of us professionals would get out of our silos and we would have like this integrated clinic where you could see everybody in in one giant visit um and we could all have a team approach to your care Mm -hmm. and so I know that's that's like kind of a pipe dream I it's like (laughs) I know All right. Do you see physical therapists on TV or in the media celebrated for their role? What do you see? All I'm thinking of right now is whenever they show up in Grey's Anatomy, they're always in like khakis and a polo with like a towel around (laughs) the neck. (laughs) Like they're going to give a massage. (laughs) Right. And... And then, like, there was another graze where, like, this girl refused to get out of bed, like, after she had some um, giant leg surgery. And, like, Lexi, if you've never watched Grey's, like, a surgeon was the one, like, tasked with getting her out of bed. And I was like, hmm, I don't think so. Like, I don't think the Um, surgical resident hmm. is going to be the one tasked with getting this girl to walk. Oh my gosh. If only there was a job for that. <laughs> oh, if only if only there was an entire profession right. of people that have doctorates and can prescribe and bill insurance and oh my gosh, like you can open your own clinic as a physical therapist. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, so it's just like an underrepresented in the media and not understood even by healthcare professionals. So I hope everyone listening is getting something out of this. Um, So why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll hear from Dr. Amy about her self-care ideas and a story from practice. So stay tuned. Welcome back from that little break. We have Dr. Amy Kusterman, our physical therapist here with lots of gigs, and she's here to share a story about that and some self-care tips. Take it away, Amy. So coming out of school, I was totally convinced that I was going to be a hospital therapist. And when that didn't happen, um, I took up my outpatient gig and then a friend of a friend had got me a big or a job on the weekends in a big hospital um, in a nice metro area, level one trauma center. And it was awesome. And I totally thought I was just going to ride that out. So they had the full-time job, leave my outpatient thing and do what I wanted to do. Can I ask before you go into it more, is there a pay difference in the physical therapy world between the two? You know, I think it's pretty comparable, but I also get weekend pay at my job. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, because the okay. only hospital place that I had an offer for was rural. And it was it was a very comparable offer to the outpatient offer I have right now. So not apples to apples, but 
Like if I was working as a nurse practitioner in an intensive care unit, for example, I would probably ma- be making like $40,000 more than I make oh, really? in primary care because nobody values primary care. <laughs> there, There's not money to be made in primary care. They can't bill for expensive procedures. And, um, but yeah, so there is a huge difference that I notice Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of the, the providers that work in primary care, even if like if I was a physician, same thing. If I was an ICU physician, I'd be making, you know, a lot. Um, but in the primary care clinic, probably like a hundred grand less, maybe even more of a difference than that in some cases. So it it's really interesting. So in your profession, in physical therapy, it sounds like you're valued both inpatient and outpatient similarly. Yeah. And I think it's because in the hospital, um, because the hospital gets reimbursed on that diagnosis code or whatever, and the PDPM reimbursement situation, mm-hmm. um, we don't actually bill billable codes. So like, we're basically just, we don't actually generate revenue for the hospital. We save the hospital money for readmissions is our goal. Okay. Okay. Um, I know OTs, their like claim to fame is that they prevent the most readmissions, but I like to think we kind of help. Yeah, but as for the, sure. But, um, but yeah, that's OT's big shtick too. So yeah, I think that might be the difference because- we actually generate revenue in outpatient, whereas in inpatient, we just save the losses. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The whole revenue structure in American healthcare, we do have some international listeners. Hey, Canada. Hey, Iceland. Um, and like Algeria, welcome to the party. Ooh. I know. I know, right? And like, I'll call out the other countries too. So just like, keep listening, you guys. Um so in a, in American system, we're, we're billed based off of RVU or, or like revenue units. And so however many units we can create by seeing a patient, then we get paid more, which is really stupid because mm-hmm. that means like the more tests you order, the higher the revenue unit and and really it should be less. Like you shouldn't have to order tests because you should be able to manage things like and I'm just talking like unnecessary testing is a problem in our, so that's just an example. So we have this RVU driven model that, um, and it really should be a quality driven model. Like our outcomes should drive our reimbursement. And, and that is not the case in American healthcare systems. Um, so if you're out there and you're listening in a different country, um, yeah, it's a shit show. Welcome. Um, (laughs) All right. So back back to so it sounds like you generate revenue and in one environment and then you save revenue in the other environment. Uh-huh. Okay. So the job is super different, which is awesome. Um so variety. As, yeah. Well, and as new grads, I remember somebody took a poll in our like class Facebook page a year out from graduation and was like, Hey, where's everybody at nowadays? And probably 20 to 30% of our class um, works a second job. And I had picked it up, number one, because the extra cash was nice. Number two, I had the time. Number three, I was hoping for another job out of it. And now at this point, I don't think I am. Like, I really like, actually, I know I'm not. I love my job. (laughs) I love my (laughs) full-time job. Um, 
but it's really fun to be able to do two different things. And I think that my weekend job makes me better at understanding some of the lower level things that like gives me ideas for lower level exercises I can do with my patients. Um, when patients come in with complicated medical histories, it's super, super streamlined to sort through them because I do that. And I also think that like being in the outpatient world has made me such a better inpatient therapist. Like when patients complain about how uncomfortable the wheelchairs are in the hospital or whatever, like, oh, well, I make modifications to people's desk chairs all the time at my, at my full-time job. So easy enough to just roll up a couple towels. Let's change this, this, and this. And now you can stay sitting for twice as long, which we all want our patients to do more of in the hospital. Yeah. So as opposed to being in bed for people that are right. listening, like we want to get people out of bed. So sitting is good. Is good. <laughs> um, um, so I think for some people listening, they might be like, what do you do besides exercises as a PT? So can you talk a little bit more about your scope? Because it sounds like in both of these environments, your scope and what you do, it sounds like you use skills in both places, but some some things are different. So what is what are the tasks that you're doing? Yeah, in my full-time job, we do a lot because our patients are just so involved, right? They've got a lot going on. And so we talk a lot about nutrition and sleep and stress management and how do we make a person's um, lifestyle habits help to support their healing. Um, So a lot of times that's a lot of exercise and that's very much what we focus on in um, the majority of our sessions. But for some patients, like taking an hour to talk about how they manage stress Um, can be huge or this year we got these awesome like guided relaxation audios that we can play in clinic for our patients awesome Um, so like you know we have the big ice packs on for at the end of the session let's throw on some ice let's put on a five minute relaxation audio and like basically it's like the end of a yoga class right yeah and so then your patient leaves feeling better than they came and they get to for patient buy-in it's amazing too right because then we get to show patients how like relaxation and all that kind of stuff can be helpful in their management as well so there's there's the therapy part the it's not necessarily physical and moving it's it's looking at the mind and lifestyle like you said okay I love it I love it okay and we can do massage or joint mobilizations or hands-on type stuff um Mm -hmm. In our setting, we don't do it a ton. Most of our patients already see a chiropractor, so they already get a lot of that um, is a big reason. Um, And then it saves my hands if someone else is doing it, which is kind of nice. I also (laughs) love to teach them ways to do the same thing themselves. So our clinic is huge on that. Um, And it's like the first and it's like the only clinic I ever saw in my clinicals that just taught people how to do it themselves. Yeah. Teach a man to fish, man. You got to teach a man to fish not fish for him. I like that. One of my managers was like, you know, if a patient comes in stiff and I can give them a tennis ball and have them stand against the wall with a tennis ball, that saves my hands a lot of work. And I was like, (laughs) that is so true. And he's like, and then they go home and when they're sore tomorrow, they just grab the tennis ball that the dog left around the house and have something that they can do for themselves, which is super cool. Um, so obviously I'm going to, I'm just say, obviously, 
physical therapists like to exercise. Yes. <laughs> and so for self-care, what do you do to take care of yourself? Well, I exercise. Um, I'm a casual runner. Um, my husband and I got like a cheap um, spin bike off of the internet, like just like a Craigslist sort of situation. Yeah. Um, and have been having fun, like taking Peloton classes on the app and things like that. And the Peloton um, app is free, isn't it? It was all during like March, April, May, I think. And oh, then now it's like now it costs it's, money. It's like Gosh, ten dollars a month. It's not too bad. Not terrible. Okay. Um, all right. It sounds like you also know how to relax because you're teaching that to your patients all the time. Mm -hmm. And so do you also like ice yourself and <laughs> put on some some chill music or how do you relax? Well, I got a new puppy. So sometimes oh. I'm, I'm a big fan of cuddling because oh. um, she's super cuddly. All right. So you're going to have to submit a, sh a picture of your puppy for the show. No, she's a little yellow lab. She's about six months old. She's oh my really gosh. Cute. I heard that. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. <laughs> Roxy. So you're, you're busy with a puppy. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that puppy is good distraction too from, from work. Yes. Yeah. And then she gets so me good. walking a couple times a day, which is nice. Yep. Very good. Well, Dr. Amy, if people want to reach out to you and learn more about physical therapy or any of the ideas you have around working more than one job or your puppy, how can they get a hold of you? Um, I'm on Twitter where I talk about PT stuff all the time and public health now that we're now we're all talking about public health um, <laughs> at Amy Joe 1499. And okay. That's kind of where I am on the socials mostly. That's, that's where you live. Okay, yeah. got it. And listeners, you guys know what to do. I'm at Doses for Support on Instagram, on our private Facebook. I got a Patreon. I got a website. I'm just everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. So y'all just find me. You can submit a survey and you can tell your story. And all stories here are welcome. Um. Dr. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to hear from a physical therapist um, and from Roxy. So listeners, we will see you again next week. Every role in healthcare is important and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.